Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, a podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. And as always, we're your hosts. I'm Will. That's Blake. Today we're here to talk some Critical Role, some very intriguing Critical Role, episode 63. A big episode. Indeed. Big episode. I was big episode. very disappointed to finish it and then look at my calendar and be like, there's probably no critical role this next week. Ah, I, know. I was like, I was kind of like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then sure enough, there's not a follow-up until next week. But that's right. We do have um Candela Obscura, so at least we have something to tide us over in this uh, upcoming off week. But yeah, we gotta wait. And uh, it's it seems like I don't think this is crazy to say. In fact, I think it's rather obvious, but next episode <laughs> of Critical Role is gonna be the reunion. Yeah. So uh, yeah. You know, and on top of this just being a really big episode, it's, uh, you know, really yeah. big cliffhanger, I guess. Um, Back together. Yeah. So it's been like four months. Been months for sure. Yeah. Since the yeah. crew. Yeah. So it'll be good to have everyone back together. So we just have to wait a little bit longer during this off week. But yeah. Um, announcements. Uh, I don't think we really have any out of the out of the ordinary announcements, just our typical check out our other stuff we're putting out there. Um, the Wizard, the Witch, and the Wild one. Uh, we recently uh, finished our Ravening War discussion. Um, so if you haven't checked that out yet, give that a glance. Uh, great, great series. And I know Blake and I both enjoyed that. Uh, Dimension 20's new series, I believe, starts tonight. Um, so for those of you guys that are going to be checking that out, let us know in the comments. Um, What's it called? Uh, I think it's Dungeons and Drag Queens. Did you see the oh, little okay. uh, no. promotion? Brennan is like all decked out. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think it's, um again, y'all, Dimension 20 folks, forgive me for not knowing the lingo yet, but it's 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 not it's like, like a, a main. It's like campaign. a side quest. Side quest. Thank you. I think it's only yeah. four episodes. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I believe that starts tonight. And then my forgetting anything diablo 4 we're gonna talk about yeah. it still <laughs> is this gonna just be had, the next witcher <laughs> i know i was already thinking that man we did just put out uh some quick a summary of the patch notes that just came out they did just have a big patch um so if you're playing diablo 4 you can check out that video um or just jump into the game because there's some really cool changes so yeah season yeah. one coming soon um yeah yeah and uh, also, I always forget to mention this at the start, so I am going to mention it now. We've got a Discord. It'll be linked in the description box below. Um, like we said, there's no official Critical Role episode, but there is a Candela Obscura. So for that and also in perpetuity for Critical Role episodes, we have a live chat uh, while those are going on. So come join us, other members of the community. Uh, it's much less toxic than Twitch chat. Uh, so it's a good place to be. We got all good people that come through. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the week is watching those episodes with you guys. So uh, join us if you're not yeah. a toxic jerk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then also you may have noticed on the channel, we've been pumping out some kind of newish content for us is we've been um, highlighting some of our favorite critical role moments, releasing some highlight videos, um, some shorts. So hopefully you guys have been enjoying those. And uh, if you, if you have been, and there are specific moments you'd like to see, let us know in the comments. Maybe we can get that up on our, uh, on our to-do list. I'm super jealous of you because like my 
Rolodex of moments goes back to the start of campaign three. Oh yeah. And, and calamity basically. So I'm just like, you know, I'm so curious the other big moments from the other two campaigns. Yeah, but like, I don't know if I want you to like, if I did like rip like a really <laughs> cool moment from campaign one, I wouldn't want you to watch it. You know me. <laughs> I'll shamelessly watch oh, it. Oh no. Well, now so, I got to be careful. Anyway, anyway. All right, well, let's jump into our discussion of episode 63 of Campaign 3. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, we like to cut out um, a little bit of a recap uh, and chat about uh, really what happened in the episode since it's a bit of a longer, um, these episodes are a bit longer. And like I mentioned, we cut that out, we post it on YouTube separately, uh, and then we follow that up with our full episode discussion. So if you're watching just the recap, click the link in the description box and you can get our full discussion. And, and also importantly, we'd love to know your thoughts on the episode as well. So feel free to jump into that conversation, whether you're a new critter or a longer watching critter. Um, but having said that, episode 63, uh, the haunted, a haunted whisper, haunted, a haunted ha past, haunted past. I got one of the words, <laughs> um, a haunted past, uh, this episode opens up with um, the party in this large room with this green obelisk. And as we saw in the previous episode, this smiling face. Um, this face is actually going to drop down into this creature of shadow is really the best way to describe it. Um, someone does some kind of, I think maybe an arcana check or something of that nature. And they realize this is some, some fey type creature. Um, but it is essentially a creature made of pure shadow and I'll call it necrotic ickerness. Um, and the creature is very much, um, Everyone's kind of like, hey, so what's going on? What you doing here? And most importantly, where is everyone else? And this creature basically informs them that um, they are all now one with it in a very ominous way, which the party's like, don't know if I like that. Um, the creature also identifies itself as, um, uh, oh, it's so hard to pronounce, uh, Evithereer? Yeah, I think. Er Erethafir? I think it's Evithereer. Yeah. Um, I'm sticking with it. And um, is very much signaling that it's about to consume them as well. Uh, before, I think it's Ladna uh, who has a persuasion check that is basically like, or actually maybe it was Denise, who's like, hey, we don't, have, we don't need to fight. We can just kind of talk about this. Um, unfortunately, the role is not quite high enough and combat ensues. Now, what we typically do with combat and critical role is we just cover the highlights of the combat just because a lot does happen in a typical combat. Um, essentially, there's going to be a couple of mechanics that are most important in this combat session, one of which is, um, uh, I'm just going to refer to uh, Evithereer as the Taker, which is the title given in the back half to this creature. Um, but the Taker is going to have these red, uh, these dark red crystals of spheres of crystal that are in the room and the party's not sure what they do and what the interaction is they just know enough to know that's bad and i want to destroy that in fact ashton is going to spend one of his turns raging and basically smashing this thing to a pile of shards and we do find out later in the combat that the taker is not only able to take these shards and consume them to restore its life force 
but also it's able to then take those consume shards and create new spheres that are around the room. Um, some other things that it does um, that are important for this combat, um, one of which is that um, we're going to see some of our uh, first cast, I think it's, it was in just in this episode, I think it was in previous episodes, but similar to the Ravening War, we're going to start seeing silvery barbs come out, and <laughs> we're also going to see counter spells coming out. In fact, there's going to be a round where... Um, Evathurir is he's going to start casting uh, Fireball on the group uh, to which people are like, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, Ladna is going to counterspell it. Evathurir is going to um, counterspell the counterspell and then Prism is going to counterspell his counterspell so that I feel like I'm playing Magic the Gathering with like the stack of (laughs) actions that happen. But essentially um uh, the fireball does not go off and the party is okay. Also, what happens is on Prism's turn, she's going to cast Chromatic Orb and she's going to do force damage on uh, Evathurir. And when this happens, uh, as Evathurir is hit and takes damage, they spot what appears to be some kind of of creature within Evathurir. Uh, not like an evil, nefarious creature, but what appears to be some kind of captive figure inside of it. And so they realize right off the bat, this is something we probably need to try to save this person. Um, combat continues. Uh, Ladna is going to be casting Eldritch Blast, um, which does force damage. And in one particular round, a combination of her casting Eldritch Blast and then Orum, who is just the Biss um, describer as the fighter, uh, is going to use Seedling to basically whip out grab this figure and with a contested strength check pulls this character out of the um, body of the taker. And it reveals this person to be a, an older uh, elvish man who is unconscious. Um, Immediately after that, going back to prism's turn, she has sort of like a life crisis on do I dimension door this person away? Like is Evathurir going to be wanting to, reconsume this person or should i do something else she finally decides i'm going to dimension door this character away who's revealed to be Havesto, uh the hierophant that they were coming to find and dimension doors him over to ashton who's on the other side of the arena and who immediately is like why who is this what do you want me to do with this person uh in typical ashton faction um, Denise is going to swig a health, grab a health potion and give it to Havestro, who's going to pop up and be kind of like, what is going on? What's happening? Uh, Evathurir is immediately going to want to try to reconsume this character. And, uh, in being frustrated by the counterspell, uh, which actually happens around this time, uh, goes 60 feet from the group and then casts another fireball on the group, which at this point, the group's kind of all huddled in one spot because they're kind of trying to protect uh, Havesto. Um, in fact, Orem has done his, um, I can't think of what it's called, his sw- his bait and switch maneuver, um, where he's sort of guarding over Havestro. Well, the fireball's going to hit. Um, they get rocked for damage, and Havestro actually immediately goes unconscious again. Um Fortunately, Evathurir is looking pretty rough. Um, Ladna is going to do double Eldritch Blasts, and 
Matt describes Evathirir as sort of becoming un, unhinged and undone as a shadowy figure. And so she quickens spells, bonus action, Eldritch Blast again, gets the how do you want to do this, and describes this really cool um, uh, ending combat action of essentially Evathirir sort of like... Um, disintegrating until finally he is this one tiny globule of black ichor to which Ladna explains that she sort of reaches out and grabs it and I think even says like consumes its essence or something to that effect um very cool regardless yeah um so the party immediately they turn to Hevestro who they bring back up and Hevestro is like essentially like yeah my job as the hierophant has been to uh, protect this spot of an ancient Gaudrashari uh, by the name of Omadua, who and explains that that back in the day the uh, arch druids would bind themselves with was it a primordial I think yes it was or, something I think he used the word eidolon but we'll have to talk mm. about where we think in the 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 ranking this would be um, but basically binds with an eidolon. And on the night of the solstice, as we as we saw happen elsewhere in Exandria, um, certain enchantment enchantments seemed to fail, and Evathirir, um was released and basically came here to get revenge and consume uh, the people guarding this ritual site. Um, we do find out later, and I, I won't steal this from you, Will, that what happens to some of Havestro's um, aides. Uh, but Havestra himself was basically consumed and had been in the darkness of this figure um, until the party uh, arrived and freed them. There's also another detail uh, given about um, Havestro basically describes a um, nearby town, because um, when he says Galdrashari, Ashton, which is, we've seen this happen elsewhere, Ashton hears a Shari and thinks it's his Shari. So he's like, did you say his Shari? And he's like, Oh, no, not definitely not Hashari. And he's like, well, what's wrong with Hashari? And he basically tells the story of a town 50 or 60 years ago where this charismatic leader basically was created a cult around bringing back the primordial titans, which Havesto describes as being a foolhardy task, that it's impossible, that the guards had scattered them entirely. But despite this, this character, Efteren, um, uh, as this cult leader had, in his process of trying to bring back the primordials, had brought in uh, essentially terrible carnage on the village of Tumilo, um, and those characters had been scattered. Um, we also know that Elder Abedina was one of his followers, and after the chaos of this, uh, she basically went to Havestro, who mentored her, and sort of brought her back from the cult world, I guess. <laughs> um, after this, Havestra's kind of like, so what exactly has been going on since the solstice hit? And Ladna basically casts Silent Image and shows kind of the events with Ruidus and specifically the excavation site. So I feel like that was a really long first half for me, and I still don't know if I had every important detail, but um, do you want to take the break on... Yeah, because no, nothing course. important happens after this point. Right. I was going to say, yeah, my half feels long, too. So, y'all, thanks yeah. for bearing with us here. Also, real quick, uh, I uh, I made a really bad pun joke in Discord during this episode. And the 
the crew voted that my punishment was that I had to make it again in the recap, but it actually oh. happened during your half. So let me just pay up here. Uh, the moment that you referred to with Orum um, doing his bait and switch maneuver, um, yeah. he had he was like impaled on part of something right before that. So the shadow spike, I think. Yeah. So I said um, Orum got himself off and then performed a master bait and switch. Um, so yeah, nice. sorry. And moving on. So we pick back up in the second half with Hevestro having been kind of caught up to speed on everything that's happened the past few days. And he's like, okay, well, <clears throat> what can I do for you? What did you come to me for? And they tell him that they seek transportation to various places amongst the group. And he's like, yeah, I would be happy to help, but I'm going to need the day to recover so I can send you in the morning. Um, Prism then quickly asks him about the Githzerai because of that skull that they had found um, the day before, or I guess it was today. Um, and he says he's heard of them, but has never encountered one. They are from the Astral Sea. Uh, Havestro then goes to kind of deal with the aftermath of uh, this attack that has happened at his shrine to go deal with all of the remains of his friends um, that have all been killed here. And he actually like uh, pulls some skeletons out of the ground and um, is basically going to go bury his friends and just take care of the funeral rites of all of these people. Um, so he, he's leaving to do that. And he tells the party, like, you know, make yourself at home essentially. So our crew is beginning to wind down, wind down. Um, and they're going to go, I think, hang out around the fire pit. But as this is happening, Denise tells Bordor that she found his slingshot. Now, uh, if you'll recall, this is something she actually sleight of handed away from him earlier. So she's like, Hey, I found your slingshot. Like, here you go. And as he reaches for it, she grabs his arm and pins it behind his back and basically has him like locked up and he's trying to break free, but he can't. And she says, yeah, I'm uncomfortable like sleeping in the same place with you because like you're clearly hiding something. Um, <clears throat> and so there's this kind of tense moment that unfolds and uh, they're like, we, we know you're lying about something. And so Bordor admits like, yeah, okay. I wasn't looking for my brother. Like I was just trying to endear myself to you guys. Um, and they're like, what? So like, what about those places we scried on? And he's like, yeah, I didn't recognize any of those places. And I'm not a sheep herder either. Um, and he says he's a leather worker and they're like, well, why would you lie about this? Um, and I believe it's Laudna, but I can't remember exactly, uh, makes a comment on how his healing magic felt like it had a bit of divine oh, to yeah. it um as if yeah. he was a divine sorcerer and so they want to know what's going on uh so denise actually does let him go and bordor begins to kind of tell his story he grew up on the menagerie coast uh, and he says his mother's name was lavandra and she was blessed by the wild mother and so is bordor that's the divine uh source of his powers so uh only his mother and him were were blessed with this his father and his other brother were not so um, he says his mother taught him the ways in secret and they stayed away from the people of the city, just trying to keep to themselves um, under the guise of simple leather workers. Uh, however, one day these rich kids picked a fight with Bordor and he couldn't control his powers. And so he almost killed one of them, but it was an accident. Um, his mother took the fall for him as she didn't want Bordor to get in any trouble and she just said, you know, as long as we have faith, we'll be taken care of and, uh, you know, not to worry. Uh, Bordor's father and his brother, however, weren't about to just take this lying down. And so they went up in arms to fight for the mother's freedom. Um, but they didn't stand a chance against all of these guards and they were ultimately killed. 
And Bordor says that his mother's faith was shattered in that moment when her husband and son died and that the gods had let her down. So she handed Bordor her dagger and told him to just run as fast as he could. And the last thing Bordor saw over his shoulder was his mother setting off a vitriolic spear on herself and all of these swarming guards as a big just kind of sacrifice play. It's been a number of years since then, uh, and Bordor fled to the Sirios Mountains where he stole, tricked, and scrounged wherever he could uh, to the point where he developed a reputation. Uh, a reputation that caught the eye of powerful people, people that approached him and asked him if he believed in the gods, if what he thought they did were good. And, you know, clearly Bordor did not. So he found a community with these people. And as Bordor is telling this, he has slipped one of these residuum-esque amplifying crystals onto the ground and he lets loose a vitriolic sphere into it. And he describes like dropping his goofy personality. Um, he's still the same person. So he didn't like drop a disguise, but his appearance changes. Um, yeah. You could say you can see like the cracks in the veneer, the weathered man underneath. And he like stands to his full height, um, straight posture and unleashes the spell on everyone. Um, it does acid damage. A couple people save from it, but Prism immediately falls unconscious. And Bordor screams, I saw you, you killed my friends in Marquette, and we roll initiative. Um, <clears throat> so Bordor is just trying to run. He knows he stands no chance against all of these people. Um, so he tries to run. Um, Orem immediately grabs Prism, gives her a potion, and then baits and switches with her to pump up her AC. Um, Ashton goes into a rage and rocks Bordor. Um, yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah, knocks him prone and does some substantial damage. Uh, Denise then uses her whip and uh, is ultimately able to successfully uh, restrain him with it. Um, so Bordor knows he's in a tough spot and he tries to polymorph into a hummingbird to escape, but Laudna counterspells it. Mm -hmm. And Bordor just says, you know, beautiful. Um, and he basically just starts saying, just, just end it, get it over with, and is begging them to just take his life. Um, very tense moment, a very crazy moment. And Lana walks up to him and describes her form of dread kind of like coming out as she does. And her eyes, her eyes go dark, but there's like a faint purple energy to them. And she says, I'm really sorry, Bordor. I just can't stand having anyone else betray me. And Marisha describes uh, Lana grabbing him by the throat and casting Hunger of the Shadow, dealing 26 necrotic damage and instantly knocking him unconscious. And Ladna is like delighting in this moment. And in the back of her mind, she can hear a heartbeat kind of pop up. Uh, Denise is like, hey, we should not kill him. Let's interrogate him so we can learn more about lewdness and everything going on. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Prism, who has been brought back to consciousness thanks to the potion, uh, takes another pulse of damage from the acid damage that Bordor had hit her with. Um, and because of this, she is just feeling like so betrayed in this moment. And she just runs up and punches Bordor as hard as she can, which because he's unconscious causes two, uh, death fails immediately. Um, Ladna still clutching his throat and is like, kind of like sucking the life essence into herself. Um, is just kind of like embracing this moment. She's barely like present, um, but she's just like having flashes of all of her past trauma that she's experienced and all the times that she hasn't been in control, uh, but she's in control now. And so she kind of gives into it and casts Wither and Bloom, which sucks out the remaining life um, 
and she can kind of feel something dormant within her come back to life and this purple flame like starts cascading down her arm like into the place where Bordor was uh, as he basically is just reduced to ash um, and the same purple flame that last time we saw was with Delilah so <laughs> this Thanks. is all going down yeah Ashton approaches Laudna and is like are you okay and she like immediately like kind of lashes out and Ashton's yeah. like it's fine it's fine and Laudna is just crying and Ashen kind of comforts her and leads her away. Um, Orum takes out this locket that he's been carrying um, yeah. since the Malleus key in Marquette. Uh, he took a locket off of one of the soldiers um, as a reminder, and he just throws it down and says, we're at war, and he walks off. <clears throat> yeah. Denise then kind of loots Bordor's corpse, basically, <laughs> um, getting a number of items. We get a dagger, a crossbow, a cloak of protection, a hat of disguise, and an immovable rod. So he was packed to the gills here. Um, yeah. She then kind of sweeps up what's left of him, which isn't much, and um, kind of buries him sort of like under a couple of rocks um, before she goes and talks to Prism, who is just, again, feeling so betrayed. Like she's had this this journey where, you know, she feel like she's really been coming into herself. And now she kind of thinks it was all a lie. Yeah. Um, Denise comforts her. Um, and it's around this time that Hevestro makes his way back in. I think of like the Donald Glover <laughs> holding the pizzas. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't want to pry, uh, but I'm sorry for whatever happened here. Uh, and he's like, tomorrow I'll help send you on your way. And he retires to his chambers. Um, we have a couple of conversations before the night ends. Um, first, Prism and Laudna have a conversation where they're just talking about their betrayal. And Laudna is worried that she hurt not only Bordor, but she may have hurt her friends by giving in. And uh, Laudna basically then tells Prism about Delilah and about everything that had happened with her. And Prism says, you know, if you beat Delilah once, you can do it again. And um, Orem, meanwhile, is is kind of off to himself. He can still hear all these conversations happening, but he's off to himself thinking about just the complexities of the situation and all of this conflict. Um, but really all he can focus on is that the people that he's lost because of the people that are doing this. And he's, he says that he's focused or he doesn't say out loud, but his internal monologue is that he is focused on just trying to kill the people that did this to him. Uh, the people who took lives just to get what they wanted. And he says he will die trying if he has to. Everyone eventually finds their night's rest. Um, the next morning comes and it's time to teleport out of here. Uh, but before that happens, a couple more conversations occur. Um, Prism decides that, <clears throat> you know what? I don't want to go back to the Cobalt Soul immediately. Like, what if I kind of did my own thing um, for a while? And she's kind of having this conversation with Ashton. And Ashton's like, yeah, like, do it. Like, just be a criminal nerd. Um, you'll figure it out. <laughs> And uh, Ashton actually suggests Whitestone as a place she could maybe go. They have a lot of books there. And he also says, you know, yeah, piss off their, the leader there. He's a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Denise suggests she goes to Kaimal, which is a crazy place. And um, Prism's like, oh, yeah, okay. I don't know where I should go. Uh, but Denise is going to go see Dariax for sure. So she asks Prism to scry on him so she can figure out exactly where that is. Uh, she does just that. And they do see Dariax alone in a tavern. Uh, which they come to realize is in Western. So she decides that that's where she'll go. Um, because of this, Orem's like, oh yeah, let me try the Sending Stone to see if I can talk to Dorian and, you know, potentially the the Crown Keepers. 
Uh, he tries, but unfortunately it's all staticked out and still doesn't work. Um, Denise then distributes uh, Bordor's items, with most of them going to our crew, but the Hat of Disguise Prism actually takes. And she says, ah, I really don't know where I want to go. And um, Orem's like, well, you know, or wait, excuse me. She's like, I really don't know where I want to go. Maybe I'll just let Hevestro pick for me. Um, so they go to this secret glade, basically, where Hevestro is going to cast transport via plants. Um, they arrive and Denise is going to go first. So he she says her goodbyes and he opens up a portal and she steps through to Westron. Uh, Prism then scries on Imogen and sees that the other half of the group is in Drusar. Um, and Hevestro then opens another portal to Marquette and Prism rushes through first. And then everyone else does because that's where they're going. Um, Prism didn't realize that she was just jumping into a portal that was going to be where everyone else was going. So she's like, oh, well, guess I'm coming with y'all, which more on that in the discussion. Um but so the whole crew walks through the portal and that's essentially where the episode ends. Um, Man. Once again, that was episode 63, a uh, haunted life, haunted past. One <laughs> of those was- two. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, if you're just watching the recap, we'll have a link to our full discussion in the description below. So be sure to check it out. All right, man. Ooh, man. What Big a, one episode man i this might be like one of our discussions i mean goodness there was so much and what a crazy episode too yeah um i mean i guess it makes sense to start with the big bombshell freaking bordor <laughs> freaking bordor man r.i.p oh man we <sighs> We've been, I mean, if you guys have been watching us, we've been talking about Bordor almost every episode about what the heck's going on with them. Yeah. What's the deal with Bordor? What's going on? Rest in peace to the dog theory, you know, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, But yeah, he, uh, he was a spy. I mean, I guess I don't know if spy is, is necessarily applicable because it's not like he was sent there, but he was, he was a bad guy. um, Essentially. Presumably from the um fortress in um or wait no 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 when, when he said in marquette i was thinking all the way back to bosseros and i was like what but he's from the excavation site yeah right yeah okay yeah at the at the malleus key is is how i understood it yeah um, that makes more sense so yeah he seemingly just got teleported just like team aol did um from that very spot which um I don't want to get, well, I guess it's fine to go ahead and say it, uh, which I thought was interesting because that, you know, explains why, but then it makes Denise's appearance there a little more interesting, um, which I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have these guest characters, you need a reason for them to all come together. So I'm not saying there's anything else there, but it is interesting that yeah. um, everyone except her, well, I guess Prism too, so never mind, um, but yeah, teleported right. from the same place. Um but yeah, so Bordor was potentially a member of the Ruby Vanguard, not necessarily. Um, potentially a member of uh, what is the other group called? Odohan's group. Oh, um, I think it's it's. I, I don't remember, but he's Ruby Vanguard because I think he even said it himself that he was Ruby Vanguard. Okay, Paragon's uh, call. But yeah, yes, um, right. Yeah, so 
pretty pretty tragic backstory and i mean there's a, there's a lot of like aspects to talk about here but i mean first and foremost ukarsh what a great job man of just yeah. keeping everyone on their toes for the past six weeks or however long it's been and uh coming out with a really cool reveal and coincidentally enough even when he was having to do I think like his spell DC or something. He was like, so where is this on here? <laughs> so <laughs> stayed true to, um, I don't think that was an act. I think he yeah. genuinely wasn't sure, but it just worked coincidentally with the persona he was yeah. creating. Um, so it kind of went well together in tandem. Um, I'm sad they killed him. I understand, but I'm sad they killed I was feeling from Denise. I was like, oh, don't kill him. Um, and he died in a, I just felt bad for him. So, yeah, I mean, he I mean, he wasn't really a I mean, he did say that he was going to try to kill them, I think. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that hadn't happened yet, but uh, he. I guess those were his intentions still, though, but like that aside, he wasn't really that bad of a guy. He just kind of it was a product of his circumstances, you know, um, uh, alone in the world and kind of found by these people who had a mutual distaste for the gods. And so he was like, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I want to table that to come back to that about the, this conversation about the gods in general, but, um, going back to him, um, there were some big moments for our characters too, because we had Ladna, um, we had Ashton coming to Ladna's aid um, which I think someone in a previous episode commented that they were shipping Ashton and Ladna, um, well, which you, I'm not, you were as well, I right? I didn't comment it. Oh, I said I could see it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see it. But point being, they just, for me, they just have such a special connection. Yeah. Um, so it was great to see him come up, but freaking aura, man, the moment where she looks back at him and he just, I mean, dad Orem just nods. Yeah, in a very like do it way. I mean, and then throwing the locket down. I mean, I'm really curious what is going on in his character's mind and what this means for Orum, this character who has always been sort of a bastion for good. We've seen it in EXU, and then now, um, you know, very straight and narrow. And not that he, this communicates anything different, but it did feel like a big development point for him. Yeah. I, uh, this, this whole arc, I feel like he's been, now there's been some exceptions. I'm not saying it was all this, but like this over through this arc, he's seemingly gotten like disillusioned and, um, you know, he's, I, I said it in the recap, but he, his motivation right now is like revenge. He wants to kill the people that, that took his family away, which is, I mean, I I don't think it's it might be fair to say that that he always wanted that because I mean we don't really know we know he was always looking for more information about that attack and what happened Um, but this is at least the first time he's been like so like just put the cards on the table like it's not about saving the world you know it's it's about revenge for him I think I think where my mind goes is early campaign three it was all about justice and especially lately it's been about revenge. Yeah. And I think, I think the outcomes for both of those 
like the actions are this can be the same like lewdness can be killed in either one of those situations but like the motive is very different yes you know sweet dad orum you know this this character of justice and now very much seeming like like you said it's not about the world anymore like i want people i want these people to pay like we're at war and kind of realizing that if the ends justify the means like i think previous orum was like the means matter and this version yeah. of orum is now like yeah let's, we're going to get our hands dirty because that's what it's going to take so yeah i think it either in exu or in this campaign he he explicitly says the means matter maybe not those words but like that like that is brought up i'm pretty sure um i'm i I don't know if this is what I'm talking about necessarily, but I remember specifically in EXU, like the first episode when they were trying to decide what they were going to do. And they were like, yeah, let's go rob that ship. Cause the gang wants yeah. us to do that. And Orm was like, what? <laughs> like, I, yeah, I can't yeah. it's just like, I guess I'll go along, but like, he's definitely not cool with it. It was very like peer pressure conversation. We're like, yeah, we're all good. No one has any reservations. Right. And explicitly yeah. says in EXU, he says, actually, yeah, I, I do have a reservation with that. Uh, similar conversation, by the way, happens with the, um, uh, Dawnfather Temple a few episodes ago on raiding the temple or robbing the temple and him being like, yeah, no, I'm <laughs> a little bit of a more, you know, dark line for me or yeah. black and white line for me. So, but yeah, his, his arc has been fascinating to me and I'm real interested to see kind of where it continues from here. Cause this, the, the whole Laudna thing and him throwing down that medallion felt like a, almost a tipping point even like of, you know, it's we're at war, which it made me wonder, like he is a, a warrior. Um, you know, he's a, like an elite guard. Um, I'm trying to think of, I don't know if he would have actually ever like been to war given the timeline and stuff, but I'm curious about like what maybe he's done or has seen in his past. Like maybe this, I'm not saying he's always, felt this way under the surface, but I'm curious if like, there's a, there's a, a war mode, if you will, that he has been to before, like when he's needed to, to like get the job done as it were. Um, yeah. Or if this is a, a novel thing, if this is a new kind of, it sounds so dumb saying war mode, but I don't know. I don't know how else to put it, but no, if that's a it. new thing for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder just rejoining the group, if people are going to notice like, you know, Orm's a little more cynical. <laughs> yeah. Um, which could turn the far, the party into full chaos mode because Orm's kind of been, you know, let's keep us, let's bring us all back, guys. I think that about that moment, um, maybe like episode 15, 20, 25, um, where like everyone was kind of like having like their, and maybe it was right after FCG like was seeing red and Orm was like, all right, everyone's kind of like had a moment of losing it, like lock this thing down. Um so I'm very curious, like if there's going to be any kind of like notable party dynamic differences where um, people are like, yeah, you seem like you've been through some stuff or or, you know, I, or even like, well, no, that wouldn't happen. But um, anyhow, I'm kind of just rambling now. But. Yeah, no, I feel like there definitely will be a shift in the dynamic. And I feel like there's kind of this cool mirroring effect of kind of Orem's disillusionment compared to Imogen, kind of what happened to her during their arc. You know, she was the wild card, as it so to say, in terms of Orem and Fern even having like a contingency plan for her. I feel like through the course of what happened in in their their arc, she kind of was more solidified in that 
we need to stop this from happening. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying it's like a yin and yang and an exact opposite thing. I just think in the direction of where their characters moved, it was like opposite directions to like Imogen is now kind of more like Orem and Orem is more like how Imogen was. Um, yeah, I would agree and also disagree in the sense of, I think the thing that's still, I'm glad you brought this up. The thing that's still a bit great to me is Imogen's mother. Yeah. That previously I would have seen Orem like, yeah, she's your mom. Like, let's stop lewdness and if we can bring her back i'm all for that this version of orem i could totally see being like hey she's with the baddies like it just is but like i'm sorry but this is what has to be done yeah um, I, yeah i could see that being a pain point which is very interesting to me with him and imogen yeah yeah i, I could totally see that that would be really compelling too um so yeah uh yeah, I don't know. It's sad, man. You know, our 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 dad of the group has kind of lost his way. I mean, not understandably, um, but yeah. And I, I kind of felt some like dad energy from Ashton as well, kind oh, yeah. of like filling that <laughs> void. Um, but actually, I <clears throat> we kind of got sidetracked. I want to go back to Bordor. Um, okay, where where to start though? Really. Um, I think so uh, beyond the meta stuff, which we already kind of talked about with how Utkarsh played it, which was awesome. I've been actually rewatching these episodes to for some prep on some videos we want to make. And uh, it's been fun seeing him um, kind of navigate some of these moments now with with knowing what we know. Um, <clears throat> but here's what I wanted to ask you. We know that he did say like, oh, I was planning on. Well, one, he said running away. And then I think another point when they were all teleporting, he was like, my plan was going to be to like kill you when we were teleporting or something to that effect. Um, So even though he did say that, I was wondering if there wasn't like a path of redemption there. Not that not that he was going to like join them and completely change his mindset. But by redemption, I mean, just decide ultimately not to kill them and to maybe just go their own separate ways. Um. And like, what could have happened if Lana didn't kill him, you know, like, and I, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's like specifically some moments in previous campaigns where NPCs that let's just call them enemies became friends. Um, we saw it with you. Well, they weren't really friends. Well, I mean, I think they were as much, I mean, she was feigning friendship just like Bordor was. Right. You know? Right. But they they didn't like then become actual friends, right? Okay, I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, like was okay. there some path there where like, you know, let's talk it out. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I like think, I think Denise wanted to, right? Yeah. I mean, Denise is like, hey guys, like, can we? <laughs> I'm very much seeing Denise like in a very Job manner of like, okay, I've made a huge mistake. I did not <laughs> mean for it to be, you know. She was like, I just want to know what's going on. Yeah. You know, um. Yeah, I was totally thinking that too. I mean, he, I think that makes what's so sad to me about Border, like when he drops his disguise and he describes himself as being like this visually traumatized character um, who's kind of been through it um, and then turning into like a pile of tears, asking Lana just to finish it. I mean, it's very sad. I, I, I definitely relate with what you're saying and that I wonder if the party could there have been an opportunity to have been like, 
yeah, I mean, which, I mean, Utkar said it himself after the fact, like, oh, I was going to kill you. Like, yeah. no matter what, I was going to kill you. Um, but I also wonder, teeny tiny bit, maybe not. But Yeah. And I mean, obviously, this was the last episode of this arc. So, I mean, I, this is another subject for a little bit later, but I seems like Emily Axford might be coming back next episode. Like, I'm all for it, dude. You know, come on. Come so, on. So, I mean, Join it permanently, Emily. Uh, she, I'm all for it. She was amazing. Um, She's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was great. Lived up to the hype for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a tragic character, I guess, is, is what I'm yeah. getting at here at the end. And so it's just, it's, he didn't, I mean, he does, he deserved it sort of not like in necessarily the way that it played out, but like he was a, a bad guy, let's say, an enemy rather. Um, I mean, it's sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I'm just kind of rambling, but you know, I don't know. I, bottom it, line, it, tragic. Yeah, I mean, it's always sad when you see an evil character where you can trace the path to them becoming evil. Right. You know, I mean, this person was out on their own, had to steal to survive, and eventually caught the eye of the Ruby Vanguard or Paragon's call. And um, yeah, I, I can tell. I totally get it. And in the moment where they needed it most, the gods didn't help um i think i think i don't think matt's done a bad job i think i think the whole back and forth on should we help the gods or not has been a pretty fair back and forth um i thought this episode really characterized or or brought to life the ruby vanguard a lot more for me because I envisioned it being comprised of many Bordors who all have similar stories. Right. And, um, you know, I've said this several times, the gods are kind of like the Greek gods in that they really kind of suck, man. You know, like, and I haven't seen any of campaign one and campaign two. So you, you might have to help me, but I, I honestly, like these gods for Alexandria, I've really seen very little that they've done. That's redeemable. Um, helpful for people. I mean, well, there is like a, a larger conversation there because like, and I think Orem even mentions it, not in this episode, but when he and Bordor are talking in the tree and Bordor's like, do you believe in the gods? And he's like, yeah, I've like seen what they've done. Like they've done many like good things in the world. Um, and they have, and there's also this, some of them, let's be clear. Uh, there's obviously we got betrayers, we got prime deities, uh, and the prime deities may not even be so virtuous necessarily, but they have done stuff that ultimately was good for humanity whether that was their intentions or not um like what uh well like they've bestowed their power upon champions to uh you know fight evil as it were uh because another thing to add to this conversation is that the divine gate exists so it's not as if the gods can just come down and like do stuff like the only really way they have to interface with the world is through mortals um, and then we're getting into a conversation of like, well, it's a game and there's like mechanics to the game. So like, what kind of story would it be if the wild mother just came down and killed Ludinus before he activated the Malleus <laughs> key? You know what I'm saying? So like, you kind of have to operate within all of those boundaries. So yeah. I think that there is an argument on both sides, a hundred percent. And the gods, you know, there's definitely reasons to just say, let's do out with them and get some new folks in charge, but they have done good stuff too. Um, so. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, you know. uh, quick, quick point of order by the way totally unrelated vecna sealed behind the divine gate um what's his classification 
is is he's he considered a, just a deity, just a general deity? Um, we actually were talking about this uh, in the Discord a little bit. Yeah, he is. So spoilers, campaign one. Not, not. We're not going to go into details, but warning. Um, he is a god. So he he performed the ritual and ascended to godhood. Um, I guess my follow up question. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I it was separate. It was different than the way the matron did it because the matron like usurped mm-hmm. the previous god of death and took their place. Vecna like created a new fane of of godhood. Nice. So word. he didn't like actively like replace another god. What were you going to say? Classifications, prime deities, betrayers, Vecna is somewhere just like a general, like middle manager. Yeah, I guess he wouldn't fall into either of those because that like classification came before he was a god. So, you know, I I would assume betrayers, though, like if he was going to pick a squad, it it would absolutely (laughs) be the betrayers. The prime deities actively fought against him. Yeah. Um, Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Um, just, just relating on, um, the whole Thanos did nothing wrong of the whole thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, So I, I'm not trying to be like team gods. They're the best. Keep them in power. I'm just saying it isn't as one-sided like they're deaf. They have done good works as well. Some of them, um, which, you know, we had a couple of moments, um, was it this? It might actually it wasn't this episode, I don't think, but where, you know, Orem has the moment where he prays to the wild mother. Um, so he's at least not like fully. Yeah. Like right. off the grid murder status. Like he still does, you know, is trying to build that connection. He just, you know, wants his revenge, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think bef- uh, before I get sidetracked again, if, uh, if there was something else on border I wanted to talk about. I feel like there was, but I can't remember. Um. I guess not about him, but about that moment uh, kind of shifting to Ladna and what, what happened with her there. Um, <clears throat> crazy moment, big build up to this of, you know, kind of Lila's still around what's going on there. And I, I just, I really liked this and I, you know, I love how Marisha even like literally called attention to it about being like, I don't want to do this. Like, like, I don't want to do this, but she knew that, like, the character moment, like, that would happen. Um, and I I saw some really interesting parallels with uh, her doing that and even that spell, the, the Hunger of the Shadow or whatever. The only other time she's cast that was against FCG when FCG betrayed them and went berserk. Um, and... Uh, so I just I thought that was a really cool like narrative parallel to where like a betrayal again has invoked that out of her. And that is what has kind of like brought Delilah back to life. I even went and looked it up when she cast it the first time on FCG. Matt also described like this heartbeat, this warmth kind of returning to her. So I thought it was, you know, really cool that once again, the heartbeat, which makes me wonder, like, I think that's a homebrew spell that it Matt is, yeah. came I'll up with. That. Yeah, it's homebrew. Um, Obviously, thematically, narratively, Delilah coming back in this moment, it's just a thing that happened that I I think would almost be fair to say maybe would have happened regardless if she cast Hungering Shadow or whatever. 
but part of me, since the heartbeat thing was brought up in both instances where she cast it, if there is like a hidden stat here where like if she absorbs X amount of HP or deals X amount of damage, like with this ability, if there's like a full fledged takeover that happens or something. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. Um, we know also that she's clearly assigning her spells to her sources of power in that after Delilah was dealt with, her form of dread was um, very sun tree-esque. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's a stretch to say that. Well, at least say tree-esque. Right. Um, and as she did this spell with the heartbeat in the back of her mind, sort of signaling Delilah again, we have, you know, the purple in her eyes, we have the purple flame, uh, and presumably has, which we don't know mechanically what happened at the end of when she was brought back, but seemingly Delilah was perhaps sealed away and Ladna opened the door again. Yeah. Or we think as much from her conversation with Prism after the fact. Yeah, I mean, 100, 100%, I would say that, like, she's back. Now, what that means necessarily, I don't know. Um, again, maybe there is some sort of mechanic to it beyond just narrative um, that could be at play here. Uh, but, yeah, this this feels like something that they're going to have to deal with uh, in addition to the other 100 things on the list right now. Um, so I'm really interested to see, like, where this goes. And we've mentioned it before, but, like, especially if we come to some like major battle conflict, we have so many people in the party that might just lose it. You know, we got FCG, we got Chetney, we got Ladna, all like innate things inside of them that could just go wrong. And then we obviously have Imogen who might just, because of her mom or whatever, choose something else. And then Orem, you know, being hard pressed on the other side of that similarly could, I don't know. It's just a big keg. Powder keg. That's the word I was looking for. Um, But yeah, heartbreaking. Tragic for Laudna too, you know? Like, and she wanted to do it, you know? She said, like, that's the only time she's felt control recently. So, like, I think she did, like, she wanted that, even though she, like, didn't on some levels, obviously, at the same time. She didn't, like, want to bring Delilah back. But I'm just curious how she's going to, like, wrestle with that. And, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many... So many tragic character moments in this episode. Um, yeah, and very diff- different to from Team Wildmount, which kind of... So I was just about to say. Into their arc and like, you know, things are good. Yeah, we're getting back to our friends. And like this group's like very much a bit more traumatized for sure. Um, the only one who I feel like is relatively unscathed is Ashton, who ironically got has every reason to be the most traumatized um, from the info we got on the uh, Terran and the Hishari cult. But yeah. like you pointed out, he kind of stepped into that role of Orum, sort of sort of being the dad and leading her away. Um, but this group, very much of a different outcome compared to the other group. Yeah, for sure. Like they had, they saw some horrific things in Malayasmir. Don't get me wrong, but like they got to meet Santa, basically have a little 
help Santa's workshop mission, you know, got to escort the sacred beast out of the city and like be heroes and then, you know, teleport back to Drusar. And this, this group has just had like trauma after trauma, um, you know, attacked a temple, uh, got attacked by an ancient, like dark Fey entity and Delilah's back and, you know, Orem's losing his religion. So yeah, I totally feel that too. Um, that's why, you know, I already mentioned it with, with Orem and, and Imogen again, but just Imogen uh, earlier, but just really interested to see the dynamic of the whole group when they come back together. Um, mm-hmm. and curious how um, Imogen will react to Laudna. I mean, obviously she's going to be there for her, but, you know, her, for Laudna to have kind of gone through that and Imogen not have been there, like I think that's going to really mess her mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Um. Something else too, from a meta perspective, talking about the two parties. Um, I really enjoyed both stories. Um, interestingly enough, enough, though, I don't know if it was because it came off of the climax of the Apogee Solstice. Um, but whenever the first party ended, I was like, yeah, I think I'm ready to see what's going on with Team AOL. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I was like, wait, it's over? They're yeah. leaving? Yeah. I was like, wait, what do you mean? It's like, we just got here. It felt way fast. Um, it felt so fast. And I think it was fewer episodes. Okay, maybe was that's it? why. Then I don't. I don't know. Honestly, um, I can check. But I, I think definitely this was, was five. Like, okay, I was definitely like, I can't believe this is already over. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think it was fifty-nine yeah. to sixty-three with this group. Yeah, you're right. This one was only five, and the previous one was seven right? 52 to 58 or is that eight? I was thinking seven, but I didn't really, I was just guessing. So I don't know if that's right or not. Okay. Yeah. So we got two more episodes. Well, okay. So I guess that's why it felt shorter than for sure, which not like it has to be seven and seven, but right, right. um, I definitely felt like I can only imagine surely they're going to come back to Silra, right? I mean, yeah, I, there's a lot to cover still, especially from, I'm just thinking of um, the three things that come to mind. One, which I thought was going to be a central point that wasn't, Ludinus's hometown, right? Uh, which never got brought up again. Um, to Milo, to Malo, Eftaran's town that mm-hmm. Ashton presumably is from. Yeah. Um, and then also the um, the place where um, Eva Thurier was originally from. Mm. That and I, I can't find the um, description in the notes. Um, but basically, he was sealed away in like some place to the west. Which I don't know if that would come up again. I don't know if Matt was just saying like, yeah, I was over, here, traveled over here, and you know, attacked. Um, but definitely the first two for sure. It feels like feels like we have to go to this town. It feels like we have to go to both towns. But then I'm also like, okay, why would they go back to Isilra? Yeah, I I thought I'm basically with you. Uh, with I mean, I thought they would go to Lunas's town, but I was for sure that we were going to explore Ashton's backstory a bit deeper, and which we got we got a big lore dump on it. So it's not as if, you know, that didn't happen to some extent, but yeah, I expected 
that to be further explored. Now, maybe that town doesn't exist anymore. You know, like maybe it's one because the ritual was crazy. And so maybe it just literally doesn't exist anymore. But maybe it's like a ghost town, even if it does still exist. Well, I think they said it was cursed. Yeah. Like that area is cursed or something. But we did get confirmation that they were trying to, I think the phrasing was something around like bring in, usher in the power of the primordials. Maybe even like yeah. a Titan was the word that um, Avestro used. I can't remember. Um, but it ultimately led to the, you know, the destruction of the people, but also, I guess, Ashton's physical transformation as well. Yeah. They, uh, were trying to restore the primordial powers of the world is what I have written down. Um, so yeah, so, okay. There's a couple, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the Evithorir and stuff a little bit too but then i also kind of on the subject we're on about like we thought they would do these things i'm curious what they do next like i mean i guess imogen can teleport now which i guess we know that they made it safely to jusar we had kind of had that cliffhanger with her rolling that die um so clearly they made it maybe maybe that explains why uh Deanna and uh, Frida are no longer with them, perhaps. Maybe they got sidetracked a little bit and then had to go their separate ways or something. Um, but Imogen can teleport. Tele- Magic is seemingly at least stable enough to teleport. Um, so I guess they could just come back pretty easily if they needed to. Uh, but yeah, that, they meet back up. They share the information with each other. I feel like Ludinus's hometown could be like a point of interest that they're maybe like, well, that's something we can go investigate. Could go back to the Malleus key site. I guess that's obviously a point of interest. Um, so I long winded answer is maybe we'll still see some of this stuff explored. Um, but yeah, I felt similarly. Yeah. I will say, um, I really enjoyed this group. I thought the table just felt awesome and I really loved every episode from this arc. Yeah, it, it, it felt, uh, I mean, it, we just talked about how it was shorter, but it definitely felt shorter. Um, I loved it too. I could definitely have gone some more episodes with them. Um, but we may get Emily again. It, it seems like that wasn't initially the plan, but then like she teleported with them and Matt like made the comment of like, Emily, I guess we'll see you next time. So like, I don't know how much to read into that, especially with like busy schedules and you know, I'm sure like this is more of like a job. Um, so it's yeah. like, you know, she is just free to come back, but I'm curious to see if, if we might see her, um, yeah. again. And, and, uh, Amy Carrero was great too. Of course, really yeah. nice. And, um, really curious what's going on with Dariax alone in a tavern. I'm, I'm like, Hmm. Very yeah, me too. I wonder <clears throat> like if we see the crown keepers again, um, we gonna see Opal? Are we gonna see Denise? Like maybe, 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 Den- maybe this is how Dariax gets out of the picture, kind of. And if we do see them again, it's just like Opal and and Dorian, and you know, Dariax isn't there, and therefore Denise isn't there either. Um, yeah, I'm really curious what what's going on with them, and like why why did Denise get teleported due to her proximity to Dariax when Dariax seemingly did not get teleported? Um, you know, so like, again, mm-hmm. maybe that's, we had to make it work for these guests to come and play together. And I'm fine if that's the answer, 
Hmm. But that is that is interesting because like you would think that okay, Denise got teleported, so probably there's a pocket in that part of the world that got yeah, but clearly Dariax didn't. Um, so yeah, all amazing guests. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss them, and Christian and Abria as well. Which I guess there's a chance they're there when they come meet up. Um, but I'm leaning towards no on that. Yeah. Um, at least the actors, the characters may be there for a little bit. Um, do you think coming back to this next episode, you kind of just said it a minute ago of like, you know, what do they do in Drasar? Um, and you mentioned like, yeah, maybe they do go to they teleport to Silver and they go check out the town, but it feels like Matt, I would assume is going to hand them a pretty heavy scent in some way. Um, cause there's still the urgency of Ruidus over the excavation site. I could definitely see the parties being like, what do we do? Um, mm-hmm. now maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe Orm's like, all right, saddle up. We're going to Marquette. We're going to Marquette. We're going back to the excavation site. Let's go. Um, I don't think I see that happening, but, um, very curious. I'm also very curious if anything's happened on like a macro level in Drasar. Um, I kind of like Drasar kind of being the coming back home spot and yeah. just seeing it progress and develop as time goes on too. Yeah. Uh, just like junk it. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, well, at the very least, nothing apocalyptic has happened because we saw half of mm-hmm. them there in the tavern. But yeah, I'm curious to see the state of affairs there and just more of the state of affairs at, at various places in general due to what's happening. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've talked about it, but I'm curious about the state of magic because like the sending stones still didn't work. Sending spells like nine times out of 10 didn't work with, with team, uh, whatever the first team, my mind's blanking. Um, but here with this team, scry always worked and didn't have any interferences. This teleport via plants worked without any interferences. Um, Imogen's teleport worked. Yeah. I just they, they both were primordially sourced though, the scry and the <clears throat> um teleport via plants. That's so it, true. It, it could be the divine energy is kind of scuttled. Though it doesn't quite explain Prism doing the scry successfully, but Right. Yeah. So and that again, this may just be something that's like serving the narrative where, you know. So I, I'm not saying there has to be like a concrete explanation for why, you know, this worked and that right. didn't, but I am curious about it. Um, and then I just lost my train of thought again. Uh, what was I talking about right before that? You were talking about um, magic not working. Okay. You said you're just curious because magic wasn't working. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's all I had there. And then, um, Oh yeah, like the state of Jusar and the state of things. Does this mean since Imogen at least successfully got the teleport off, we know the transport via plants works, could information be circulating in the world again? Or is it still most people are in the dark? Like, is there potentially a ally gathering information distributing mission that needs to happen? Like, we gotta go to Whitestone and tell the Dorolos, what's going on? We got to go to Vasselheim and make sure they're up to speed. Right. Uh, and, you know, maybe collect allies at the same time for then a final 
battle at the Malleus Key once again or something. Um, is Keyleth okay? Is Vax, you know, like, are we going to get, like, our sending messages working? Can we at least see what's going on there? Like, um, I'll just circle back to, like, what are they going to do now that they've met up? I really, it feels like there's a lot of things that could happen. And it could be something, Matt, like you said, gives them, like, a scent of something to really pursue that we're not considering yet. It's also crazy to me thinking about the possibility that the campaign is still like only halfway over. Like it feels like so much has happened, especially lately that I'm kind of like, man, like where does this go? If not directly to the Malleus key again for like a final conflict, it's kind of like in Final Fantasy seven, like where you can go back to the Sephiroth spot. Um, I can't think what the zone's called, but instead you can do all like the side quests and like fight the ultimate weapons yeah. and stuff. It feels like the party could very easily be like, all right, yeah, let's, this is where we should go. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, it could be that this campaign's only 70 episodes or only 80 episodes, which I think would be crazy. Um, and I would be super bummed, but I, I'm kind of just wondering like, man, where does this, where does this go? And um, yeah, where does this go? Which, you know, if Pradathos is unleashed, and Ludinus is just like the final boss of part one. It does make you wonder like what cosmic battle there could be awaiting us by the end of this campaign. Yeah. I, you know, this is something we, I think we've talked about a couple of times throughout the campaign of like, this feels like such a big thing, but we're so early in the campaign. Like, is this the end game? Is there something after? And at this point, I think that like this, story is the end game but i don't think lewdness necessarily is like the final boss type of thing nor do mm -hmm. i think necessarily pradatha like i don't think they're gonna like fight pradathos necessarily um so i think this like i said this is the end game but i think that doesn't necessarily mean it's a short camp a shorter campaign like maybe it is 80 episodes that would be interesting uh, but i think there is enough here to get to a a campaign to length if necessary, because like, even if this conflict ends one way or the other, whatever that means, like there's a big battle with Ludinus, Pradathos is either let out or he's not, if he's not, this makes less sense. But if he is, there could still be a lot of like what happens now, like a lot of, like we got to handle some things, even though this did happen. Um, Cause I think that we talked about this last episode. Like, I think we, we could be, there could be some space stuff happening. Like maybe we got to go to Ruidus and that could be like a whole arc um, for whatever reason. Like maybe like, okay, he's free and like his spirit is in that city on the moon. And like the only way we can stop it now is if we go there and destroy his heart crystal, you know, like, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. We, there and could we did be something about, like that. Yeah. We did talk about like how that city was very Chekhov's gun Ian in that, you know, they spot this city and like, cause surely they're going to go there at some point. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think there is like a space is the place arc to the story, whether that's the epilogue, the ending of it, or, you know, some hijinks that they go on later on. Um, yeah. Or maybe yeah. it's even a lead into to C4. Like maybe we don't actually get spell jammers 
in C3, but like, that's all kind of, and this is another conversation we've had on the meta level of like, is this a big reset to pave the way for their new system? Which I think it has to be at this point. Like there's no way that they're going to come out with their own system and then not use it. Right. Like, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. I think on a meta level, I think there is too much with wizards of the coast for, critical for critical role to ever consider ignoring the option of having their i mean we ought to that they're releasing or publishing through um i i totally agree i think it only makes sense to have your own rule set world system whatever you want to call it um yeah. and even even all the drama with wizards like aside like it just makes sense like this they've they're a company they're like yeah. an empire at this point like <laughs> why are we going to, why are we going to make money for this other company? Just like what they used to be with geek and sundry. They launched that on their own. They're their own mm -hmm. thing. Like let's use our own system and you're going to promote yeah. that. So that doesn't necessarily have to tie into the narrative, but it seems like this is a great opportunity for like a cosmological reset that could kind of play into a mechanical reset. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think all that stuff's on the table. And I think that, this the campaign could be shorter, maybe even to lead into campaign four that uses the new system instead of, you know, to kind of facilitate that transition more quickly instead of like changing systems mid campaign, which I don't think they would do. Um, but maybe they would end this one early in order to go ahead and jump over to that. But so I think that that's possible, but I still think this is going to be like a normal length campaign. And I do think there's enough even just with this story to facilitate that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that was a bunch of word salad, but. Oh, man. Um, separate from. Go ahead. I was going to say, separate from Ludinus and Ludinus's town, do you see them going back to Silra to skip more info on Ashton? I, I, I originally thought that would be happening, but now I'm thinking maybe they can just get more info on that without actually going there, especially if it is like a ghost town and kind of non-existent anyway. Like now Ashton kind of has the pieces of information he needs to maybe go dig that hole a little bit. Is it, maybe it's not in a seal run necessarily. Is it possible that they come across F Terran? Yeah, I don't know. I was wondering if, 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 if he's dead or not. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess it wasn't mentioned. And I was wondering, do you think that's his dad or not necessarily? Because here's what I was confused about, or not confused, but here's what I was thinking is clearly Eftaran was the one, the, the cult charismatic leader that got all this going, was performing this ritual. Is what happened to Ashton a side effect of the chaos that exploded out? Or was Ashton like a central piece of this? And that's why Ashton is transformed in the way he's transformed. Because if it's the latter, I think it's his dad. But if it's the former. Oh my gosh, man. Not necessarily. <laughs> what an awesome dude i'm shipping it i love it <laughs> i don't know we're, you know we're over one on the dog theory but this is my next big <laughs> but we hit the um loot i mean not totally confirmed but like lewdness super old theory you know way before um lesmere all that stuff we got that um you we got, got, we got a couple of wins under our belt yeah. for sure yeah I love the dog thing. 
Yeah. Well, I think it speaks <laughs> to the tragicness of Ashton of, you know, if his dad even like, and very much, um, oh man, what's the thing from the Bible? Um, oh, the, the old story, uh, the guy tries to sacrifice his son to appease. Oh yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, I just can't remember the names, but point being, I could totally see if Taryn being his dad and being like, you know, yeah, you're the, you're the central piece of this. And which would be so sad. Yeah, it would be. And I, <clears throat> I not commenting on whether like Ashton, whether that's the case or not. And even if it is, if Ashton knows that necessarily or not, um, especially all the, like the literal like head trauma that they've been through, it's quite possible that like that could be his, his dad and he doesn't remember. Um, but it could kind of inform a lot of his, his worldview as well. Like um, I think most people kind of hate the, the cult leader, but you know, Ashton's definitely like doesn't put up with any of that. And so it would kind of inform that a lot if that's because like, that's mm. how his dad was, or even if it's not his dad, just like this, you know, cult that his family was a part of, he would, you know, have been exposed to it clearly. Um, but yeah, real, it's going to get delved into like it, it has to. Um, so even though it didn't happen here in Asilra, I'm really interested to find out more. Um, I thought it was cool how, um, Abedina was part of it. Um, and very interesting that she didn't at least didn't lead on to the fact that she knew like in, um, she recognized, but Ashton is transformed. So I guess it makes sense why she wouldn't recognize him. Um, yeah, and he was presumably really young at the time. Also, yeah. we don't know how old Ashton is, um, but presumably pretty young. And, um, but I am surprised she didn't. We know she recognized, um, recognizes the right word, like was intrigued by his form. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised there wasn't more of like, hey, you look kind of like that magic we unleashed. <laughs> 40 years ago. <laughs> I wish, I wish he would have asked her cause I would have been fascinated to hear what she said about it. Yeah. Um, which, you know, there was during that episode, there was a conversation. I think it was with Ladna where she was like, are you going to ask Abedina about the Hishari? And he was, and he was like, no, like I'm, that's for later with you guys. Once things settle down. Um, but, but didn't he ask in some way? And she was like, go, go speak to the rocks or something. He, yes, but I don't think he brought up, like the Hishari part of it. I think he was just like yeah. asking like a generalization of like, uh, where do yeah. you look for answers or type of something like that? Like, I don't think yeah. he explained or used the word Hishari ever. Um, okay. Interesting. Um, on this note, um, has Galdrashari been mentioned aside from calamity? That was the first time it was mentioned. Okay, because I was surprised that the, it got name dropped. No one was like, wait, wait, what, what is the Gal Drashari? Um, which I guess maybe it was a tiny retcon in that Orem seemed like, I guess Orem as an Ashari would know that they were, you know, that those were the ancestors of the Ashari. Um, but I guess I was just surprised. It made me wonder if there were, if the Gal Drashari had been mentioned otherwise. Um, which for our, our listeners, Gal Drashari are... Um, one of the groups in the calamity um, that uh, they basically they come up in calamity essentially. 
Yeah. Um, I think it, I don't, I feel like it may be what that connection was put together somewhere, but I don't remember where, and maybe it, maybe I'm just thinking of calamity, but yeah, I, I don't think that that's necessarily like a big revelation necessarily. Like you mentioned, maybe Orm even would have known that or should have known that. Um, Mm. but yeah, speaking of them, I'm wondering, and this even could tie into the ritual that the Hishari were trying to perform, but we know that the Emerald tree is a Gaudrasari that like merged with an Eidolon in order to like, yeah, continue to live, not really live, but like become like a fane of power that then, you know, could carry on and help still. I wonder if, the Hishari were trying to do something similar, like create their own emerald tree, if you will. Um, but it made me wonder, is this perhaps how the Tree of Names was created? A similar, mm. like, Gaudrashari merging with some sort of power. Um, yeah. Like a self-sacrifice play to, uh, yeah, you know, create that tree. Um, but- so, <clears throat> I have a question. Yeah. Or something, I, I like the father guess even more now because i was just curious and i searched f Terran and um critical role wiki or fandom said you know former leader of the cult of shari and the presumed father of ashton graymore which mm-hmm. i was like do they know something i don't like why is it the presumed father but in the body they cite episode 34 what dreams may come which is the episode following um when ladna dies where okay. everyone kind of comes to and they all have their memories that flash. Right, right. If you remember, Ashton has a memory of, and this is so foggy for me, but like a man, his father, weren't they like in a tent or so? I don't remember where they were, but it was kind of like, like time for the big show. I'm butchering it. But it was like presumably right before. Yeah. Am I misremembering this? Isn't that, isn't that basically what happened? I or Yeah, something to that effect. So I, that it feels like too strong a link for it not to be the dad, but I guess it could have been just, you know, it could be F. Terran's right-hand man, if anything, just being like, all right, time to go support our or boss. Yeah, or like the big ritual's happening today. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah <clears throat> totally. But, but I had forgotten about that memory that yeah. had been unlocked for him. Yeah, that is, that anyway. is interesting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, just really fascinating how all these things are kind of clicking into place with just like the story as a whole, which we don't necessarily know if the Hishari's ideals lined up with like the idol, like Hevestro and Abedina's. Um, but presumably they were team primordial, not team God. Um, so I'm interested to see how these forces of the world end up clashing here between it's gods. Bit- yeah. And it's been interesting too how Havestro kind of delegitimized Fteran because you would. It, it's interesting that they they both we even have the discussion about um, Abedina coming to Havestro and getting kind of decultized. I don't mm. know what the phrasing is. Yeah. Um, but they all believe in the primordials. Yeah. Right. I yeah. Mean, yeah. So, like, what was the Hashari? What were they about? Like, what was so? Yeah. And why did Havestro basically describe like? their ambition being foolish. Um, Cause Abedina now clearly still like wants to usher that in. Um, and Havestro's, you know, 
demigod, for lack of a better phrase, of Omadua is fused with an Eidolon. Yeah. So I guess that was a bit awkward. Not awkward, but like the dis- there's a disconnect there for me. Well, yeah, clearly the Hishari were on some other stuff. Like, yeah. So, so it's just curious what the specifics of it's that like, were. So sorry to offend anyone, but as a Christian, it's like Christian and then like, and then like, the way, way out there, Christian. You're just like, <laughs> did you have to interview that person for this story? Or <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Fanatic, fanaticism in some form. And clearly, I mean, I don't think having a presumable human, humanoid, maybe elf, half elf, who knows whatever Ashton originally was turning into an earth genasi is probably not like a normal thing. Like, so they were like dabbling in some weirdness, you know, what, yeah. <laughs> whatever their hopeful outcome was, um, which maybe it was something like that. Maybe it was like, we all want to turn into primordials ourselves or something, you know, um, mm. <clears throat> man, yeah. I just want this campaign animated so freaking badly it makes me so sad to feel like it's years away i mean i feel like it's gonna happen it is you know undoubtedly probably some years away but i think i mean unless something weird happens like like they they go bankrupt or something like in the mighty nine campaign like does terribly or something like i surely they're gonna animate this um but yeah, and then uh, one quick thought. I mean, if Keyleth's still alive, which, you know, I she is, I hope. Um, I wonder if, you know, one day when her very, very, very long life might be coming to an end, if she might merge, you know, and create a fane of power with her essence. Mm. Um since, since that's seemingly a thing arch druids do um yeah i mean she she's it has they age very slowly plus she's a half elf so she like is going to live for, for a really long time so this wouldn't yeah. be something that happens in campaign 3 or, you know or 4 or 5 or whatever unless there's a time jump but still i just had that thought when we found this out um and then one other thing that i i don't really have much to say on it but be remiss if I didn't mention it at all was just this, this Evathorier, uh, Oma Dua kind of yeah. rivalry. Um, this is not a name that we've heard before, but, uh, just really cool. Like arch that's like shadow incarnate. Um, and, uh, it's another cool like example, I guess, or instance rather of the Apogee solstice freeing, you know, something yes. that was locked away. Um, which you spoke, we spoke about like the state of the world and specifically like Drusar, like what's happened there. I'm curious, uh, what other entities that were locked away similar to this thing and similar to the Umadara beast that are currently out there, like doing their thing after being imprisoned for who knows how long. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, like yeah. I said, don't, don't have much to say on it, but, and could it be the last we see of Evithereer? Um Such a cool character, so to speak. Um, nice, really nice flavor. Um, isn't it 
with if a fae dies in the planar world, it goes back to the the Feywild? Or am I misremembering? I I don't know. I feel like there is something like that. Um okay. but I don't know how it works. Yeah, okay. I'm just uh, curious if it's the last we see of it. I mean it and maybe it's not like maybe the Evathorier that we saw is not like a hundred percent you know a hundred percent power. Like maybe it's cause he's been in prison yeah. for so long. Maybe it's a weakened form. Um, but I would have to imagine that like something that they had to like lock away, you would think yeah. is not just so easily killed by this level nine party or whatever. So I wouldn't, I don't like, I don't think narratively it necessarily like makes sense to see him again, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if he wasn't dead. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see the party at level 10 also, by the way. I bet so. If maybe not like when we see them next, but like maybe at the end of the next episode, because they yeah. they haven't leveled up during the split, have they? Yeah. Right. I don't think so. So, yeah, I surely right. Surely level 10 is coming. Yeah. Um, and it would be cool if even, you know, how they put out the little like roll for HP videos like they put one of those out before this next episode. Be a nice. Yeah. Little tease. Yeah. Um, oh, man. All right. Uh. Did you say something? I said, yeah. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Your mic must have cut out because I just heard you go, all right. And then it was, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Anything else? Let me, uh, let me just look. I don't think so. Let me just quickly glance at the, uh, at the notes. Um, The one this is something we already talked about, but it's one thing I forgot to bring up in the conversation was the potential path to like a nonviolent end for Bordor. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was he was a divine soul. Is that what it is? Divine soul sorcerer. I don't know if that's the proper name, but you guys know what I'm talking about for that type of. Um, yeah, sorcerer. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting that he still had his powers. You know, like one, it's a divine source of magic, which we've seen with Deanna. We've seen with other people like their magic isn't gone. But for him to have like forsaken the gods and be actively against them, he still was able to channel the wild mother's power. So I I think this is something that like wasn't actually like looked into as far as like this would be like a really cool element to the character story. Um, But nonetheless, I'm allowed to insight into that. I feel like that was like a glimmer of, of the redemption path there. Like the wild mother still believed in Bordor, you know? Um, so like (laughs) maybe there was a way back, uh, which also again, to give some context, I've been rewatching these, these episodes to get uh, clips and stuff for a video. There's the moment with Orem, uh, digging his sword into the ground and, and praying to the wild mother that night. Uh, after he does that, uh, Bordor and I think everyone is basically still awake, but so like Bordor and some other people like you're like, yeah, Matt's like, yeah, you, you saw him do that. Bordor is like freaking idiot under his breath, which I thought was really interesting now in hindsight, like yeah. uh, especially because yeah. it is the wild mother. Um, nice little insight. Yeah. It's a nice little moment. Um, I, I like the whole path to redemption. I, it, I know 
Utkarsh said that like I was gonna kill you guys. No yeah, like it wasn't gonna happen, but like just in terms no, of like the because like I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Like the guests were leaving, he, but he did massacre wounds everybody. Yeah, like uh, yeah, so there was a part of them deep down that you know, still that scared kid running out of town. You know, I don't know for sure. And uh, the 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 pipe smoking moment, which. It's probably not fair to say either way what what this means, because it could just be we talked about this last episode when he took the pipe and Matt was like, you know what that does, right? Which now in hindsight, I think it is an indication of Matt was like, this might reveal your secret. And but maybe Matt just let it go. Um, But Bordor, you know, his vision was of everyone cheering him on, which my headcanon for that is that that really was his best moment. And like he like this is the first time in his life that he like felt included and like accepted. Um, but maybe he was just still putting on an act and Matt just didn't punish him for breaking what the item was supposed to do. But I like to think it was the other way and mm-hmm. path to redemption. <laughs> well, he's dead. So one of them. Yeah. That'll, I'll throw a wrench in things for sure. Whew. Man, what an episode to discuss. It's yeah. I guess I need a week off to decompress. From yeah. this episode. But presumably a pretty awesome uh return to normalcy, I guess. We'll see. This uh a week from tomorrow for next week's episode. Let us know what you guys thought about the episode. What are your thoughts on Bordor, the big reveal? And uh what do you expect moving forward? So Will, my friend, little thumbnail action. Yeah, what do you think? I know you were having some ideas for a vision so what do you think i i was thinking kind of like not even so much like a look of surprise but just like a i don't yeah a look of surprise really honestly like okay we just jumped right into that one <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're freaking pros at this point man yeah. so don't forget guys <laughs> we're on twitter um join our discord we're on tiktok we have the podcast if you want to just listen to us instead of watch us. We're everywhere. You can check us out. Yeah. So I appreciate the uh the likes, the follows, whatever social media we're talking about. Appreciate the engagement. Um mm. so yeah. All right. All right. Catch you guys later. Bye y'all.